coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Israel had to do all of its business with Europe and the United States because nobody wanted to do business with them in the region. Now, 77 flights back and forth a week between the United Arab Emirates, Israel, and back. That's amazing. Who is Benjamin Netanyahu? And what drives his unprecedented, incredible outreach to evangelicals? Hi, welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a very special episode of our podcast. It's a podcast of the Joshua Fund, ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, executive director of the Joshua Fund, and today I'm in Jerusalem with Joel Rosenberg. Amen. Hey, well, Joel. Glad to have you here. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that question in a moment about Benjamin Netanyahu, but the third country on our recent Abraham Accords delegation that we visited was Israel. Yeah. Of course, where we are right now, this beautiful, amazing, <laughs> God-blessed land. We met with so many senior officials. I don't think we can cover them all in this podcast, mm-hmm. but American ambassadors, we met with... Uh, bipartisan. Bipartisan, uh, two of them. ambassador well, under Trump and a, and a Democrat under President Obama. Yeah, and, and, and we also met with the former prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. But yeah. before we do that, I wanted to just ask you some of your personal highlights mm-hmm. from bringing the delegation to your country, yeah. Israel, where you live. Well, thank you, Carl. I, I, uh, it's an exciting thing because because of all the seven delegations that I've led, I've actually never led a delegation to Israel. <laughs> Not meaning I brought thousands. We, you know, Joshua right. and we brought thousands and thousands of evangelicals to come and see and tour and do prayer and uh, vision trips. Yeah. We've done conferences here and so forth. Uh, but we, I've never been invited to bring evangelical leaders to meet with senior leaders here in the government of Israel. And so that was new it was new terrain for me, and it was exciting, especially because it was designed by the Israelis, the Emiratis, and the Bahrainis to be an Abraham Accords delegation, right? It was designed to let's look at and show you all as evangelical leaders, business leaders, and media leaders, journalists, what's really happening, why we signed the Abraham Accords, and how it's actively sure. working. How, you know, is it working, and how, and, and what are the implications, and will this thing expand to other countries? So all that to say that was exciting to me because I'd never done it before at that level. The second thing is because with our news services, all Israel news, all Arab news, a lot of what we were doing, not all, was on the record. Mm. And even the things that weren't on the record in all three countries, we were told, sir, you can say that we met. Here are the pictures that you can show. You can certainly describe, you know, your observations of these meetings. But we'd love to have some of these meetings to be off the record or what Washington would, or journalists would call deep background. Why? So we can be more candid with you. You'll really know what we think about these topics. We just don't want to be, you know, sensitive to every little nuance of our words so that, um, you know, so don't quote us, you know, thought by thought, verse by verse, as it were. So that was good. And um, I think that Israel is itself changing so much. I mean, most American evangelicals think of Israel, they only know one leader's name, Benjamin Netanyahu. Why? Because he's been on the political scene for 35 years or whatever. And uh, he's been, he's the longest serving, or he was the longest serving prime minister in the modern history of Israel, right? And so it's the name that everybody has known. um, And they, I mean, 
it'd be interesting to do a poll. I don't want to waste the money. Uh, like, who's the current prime minister of Israel? I don't think you'd get many evangelicals knowing the names. Right. Even if you gave multiple choice, you might be like, mm, maybe, you know, but it'd just it'd be spitballing. Nick, right. Nick, yeah. Well, they right, they might. He's currently the, the uh, opposition leader. Right. So uh, just... Uh, um, that range of change, right? Not just change in the region, but change here in Israel. Like for the last 12 years, we had one prime minister and he's the one who negotiated all the Abraham Accords deals. And now he's not in office. Yeah. Right. So that was interesting. He's the one that signed the Abraham Accords as prime minister at the White House. September 15th, 2020. I was watching him on the lawn covering it for all Israel news, but now he's not in power. Now he, uh, we'll get to what he, you know, what's his future, what's his current, but all of that was interesting. But some of the people that I also had been getting to know, I was excited to bring you all to get to know, like Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz is the defense minister of Israel. He himself is a former chief of staff of the entire Israeli defense forces, right? Yeah. So this is a guy, the, the, the Hebrew term is Ramat Kal. This is the, the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff yeah. for Israel. So he had not only been a soldier and a general, but he became the top general. Indeed. And then now he's uh, the defense minister. This is the guy who's going to be in charge of going to war with Iran if we have to go to war with Iran. Sure. So... I've gotten to know him over the last several years, and one of his questions to me over the last several years has been, I don't have any relationships with evangelical leaders. Would you help me start to build those? What happened was the answer, my answer was yes, but COVID's answer was no. <laughs> there, was no there was nobody to bring him, to him for him to meet, right? He had a different political philosophy than Netanyahu, a different outlook, a different style for mm-hmm. sure, uh, but I'm trying to get to know leaders of all kinds and all yeah. and multiple different parties here and not just be, you know, wed to or, or connected with one political political party, one particular political party. <laughs> so that was important. I and I thought that for him to give us whatever it was, an hour ninety minutes almost uh, in the in the Kiria, which is the Pentagon of Israel, totally cool. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> I'd never been in there. You know, blow my mind to be in the uh, sort of Situation Room, right. In the in the in the Pentagon of Israel for his, yeah, and, and even he gave us some time while he was still finishing a meeting just to be there, yeah. and we had time just to talk and to ch- and that was really interesting. Again, one of my sons, uh, Jonah, who now works for the Joshua Fund, uh, he was a soldier who actually briefly was assigned to work for a general at the Kira. I'd never been there. So even though I'd known Gans, I'd always met with him at, at one of his yeah. private offices or something outside the defense establishment. Again, in the moment where Iran is five days away yeah. from having enough fuel if they decide to make the decision to suddenly start building nuclear weapons and to be able to sit with the Israeli defense minister who is as experienced as anybody. Sure. It's not like some guy who – some political appointment. Oh, you know, once we had a trade minister sure. – no, the head of the labor minister, uh, labor, labor unions, because of the political arrangements, he became the defense minister. Yeah. No experience – and you thought, that's a little scary. I'm not, you know, maybe he can do the job, but don't you want someone who really has knows done what he's it? Talking about? Yeah. So those were some of the things. Uh, there are others. I, I don't want to yeah. keep going on and on, but I, I found it exciting to have gone to the Arab countries, have heard what we heard at the highest levels yep. or nearly the highest levels, and then come back here and yeah. process it 
in the context of hearing from Israelis. Well, I was going to ask you that question. Following up from the times we've talked about both Bahrain and, and UAE, the countries we visited, the other countries visited on this delegation, when you talk to Israel, what is in it for them in these Abraham Accords? I can see, you know, the UAE and Bahrain saying Israel has a military, very extensive protection, but, but what's in it for Israel? Because we know Israel's yeah. going to go against Iran if push comes to shove no matter so what. So that's a good point. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up because we probably should have talked about it in both the Bahraini podcast and the UAE. Like, what do they think is in it for them? Right. So let's start there. Meaning, look, the Bahrainis and the Emiratis see Israel as the most powerful country in the region. Right. Israel is a region is the regional superpower when it comes to military. And in terms of technology, advanced high tech technology, Israel is the superpower of the region. The in terms of entrepreneurialism, it's certainly a leader. I would say the UAE is is the Arab leader and Bahrain is doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. So culturally, in terms of innovation, of branding themselves as, you know, a country that are trying to change the world right. through their technologies, through their industry, through their businesses. These countries are similar and mm-hmm. similar values of, you know, Bahrain and UAE are welcoming in workers from all over the world to help them. Israel is welcoming in Jews from all over the world to come in, settle and help them build mm-hmm. um, the most advanced country in the region. But you're right. Ultimately, a big part of this is security and intelligence and the Bahrainis and the Emiratis had sort of quiet behind the scenes under the radar security cooperation. But now they can be open and say, we have to build a regional alliance hmm. against the Iranian regime, against that threat. And one of the things I recommended to the Bahrainis and the Emiratis is this is a good moment to say to Israel openly, as well as behind the scenes, Let's build a regional multi-layered missile defense system that can protect everybody in this region from Iranian missiles as well as missiles built by Iran but given to these terrorist proxy organizations, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Houthis in Yemen, Hamas in Gaza. Apparently, if you're a terrorist organization connected to Iran, you have to have an H at the beginning of your name, Hezbollah, Houthis, Hamas. But anyway— so there's a remember. lot of reasons. And of course, all of these guys, they want to do trade. Israel had to do all of its business with Europe and the United States wow. and a little bit, you know, China and elsewhere because nobody wanted to do business with them in the region. Now, again, we mentioned in the last podcast, 77 flights back and forth a amazing. week between the United Arab Emirates, Israel and back. That's amazing. Yeah. People are going Venture capitalists are going. People are excited about trying to figure out. I would love on the all Israel, all Arab news side, I want to start a bureau in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or something. So anyway, so I think from the Israel side, the main thing that Israel wants is to be welcomed in the region. That sounds fuzzy, but it's important because it's sending a message to all of its enemies. You, you, You cannot get rid of us. And the Arabs are basically deciding, okay, if we can't beat them, maybe we should join them. And that's what's happening. They couldn't beat us. God was merciful. (laughs) It wasn't really so much because of us, although there's a lot of courage and uh, of our uh, Israeli soldiers and things. But ultimately, the Arabs realize these guys are strong, and they're so strong— Maybe rather than trying to yeah. get rid of them, maybe we should form an alliance, economy, trade, investment, healthcare, you know, cybersecurity, and missile defense against people who really want to kill all of us. 
the radical Islamists, the apocalyptic Islamists that we've talked about on other shows. And Israel wants that too. Yeah. And I think the big prize remains the Saudis. A Saudi-Israeli peace and normalization agreement would be the mother of all Arab-Israeli deals. And, you know, I think that's a real possibility. But uh, I think the Saudis are watching very closely. Are these other Abraham Accords countries, are these agreements working? Are working? How are they working? What does it look like? How does Israel operate in this new environment? And how do Arabs in Bahrain, UAE, Sudan, Morocco, Muslims in Kosovo, how are they feeling about this relationship with Israel? Are they happy with their governments? Do they feel like... As citizens, they are benefiting yeah. from a relationship with Israel rather than thinking, well, how does that, what does that mean to me? Well, how does that, how does that help me? Yeah. I think the Saudis are watching very closely. You know, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought out what, what's really still moving and shaking as far as the benefits to these countries of joining together. And fascinating uh, to realize that there's more in common then they have difference. And of course, they have, the differences are profound, religiously right. speaking. And I think we mentioned but, this in the last podcast, but just since we're here, we're talking about Israel, we're right here in Jerusalem. Yep. Literally, in the last four, 24 hours, Israel and the United Arab Emirates has signed the first ever yeah. in all of human history, Arab, well, uh, Arab-Israeli free trade agreement. It's amazing. Uh, I should probably correct that. I think Queen of Sheba, the Arabian monarch, <laughs> did sign a, you know, with effectively Solomon, a really right? good trade King deal Solomon. with King Solomon. <laughs> so yeah, there's a biblical example. With and, it. uh, and King Hiram of, uh, of Lebanon <laughs> yes. had a wonderful deal with uh, both David and then Solomon sure. to help build the temple. And but so it's been a long it's time. It's been a while. Been you a really <laughs> have to go back into the roots of the Bible. So it's nice to see it, uh, sure. bubbling up to, in sure. modern times. Well, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to come back to some of these, uh, really interesting characters. We, uh, uh, we mm-hmm. had a chance to oh, meet Oh, we with. met some characters. We met some characters. We met some amazing humans. Yeah. And I really felt like there was uh, some insight to Israel that I've never had before. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that after we come back from our break. Okay. Our verse of the day today is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, from the New American Standard Bible. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And our prayer request today is, one, to pray for more Israelis to find love and acceptance in Yeshua, Jesus, their Messiah. And two, for Israeli believers in Yeshua to have boldness and sensitivity in sharing Jesus' hope and love with their neighbors. Joel, it's been so wonderful to recount this uh, this great mm. Abraham Accords delegation. We so had. glad you came. It was so great, and uh, the, some of the people we met were amazing. And and I want to talk about one that uh, before we get to uh, Prime Minister, uh, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, the uh, Minister of Religious Affairs mm. Matan Kahana, yeah. a fascinating individual, yeah. great story and background, and and of course representing uh, Israel to an evangelical delegation. Yeah. Talk a little bit about our time with him. This guy is really interesting. Um, so Matan Kahana is, um, here's the short version. The short version is he was a commando in Israel's most elite special forces unit known as Sayeret Matkal. Now, when he was in there, that, that's the Delta Force of yeah. Israel, okay? The, the, you know, Delta Force recruits from all the other special forces, and then you have to try to get into Delta, you know, if you're even recruited. 
This is Zayrat Matkal. It doesn't even answer to the chief of staff of the army. It answers to the prime minister. Wow. This is like it, this is the the elite. Netanyahu guy. had been one. Netanyahu's brother had been Zayrat Matkal, Matan Kahana. So that's you learn a lot just by knowing that. You also need to know that this is where Kahana met Naftali Bennett. Now, again, we're not doing a quiz, but if we were, <laughs> who's the current prime minister of Israel? Oh. Bing! <laughs> Naftali Bennett. Naftali Bennett is not only a former special forces, Sayyid Matkal, but then he became a businessman who went into the high tech industry and made $400 million in the sale of just one of his companies. Okay. <laughs> the guy really knows what he's talking about. And he was the defense minister. He was the education minister. Anyway, now he's the prime minister. So Kahana is a super close friend because they know each other. They're army buddies, right? right? So sure. when you, uh, when you learn about Israeli culture, one of the things you learn is the friends you make in the army at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, these are your friends for life. Like you may make other friends, but you may not make, <laughs> you yeah. may not make yeah. any friends as close as the yeah. guys that you were jumping out of planes for with sure. and, and in special forces. So, so that's where Kahana started. But then, like, you know, we have this expression in Hebrew, Dayenu, like yeah. being in the top of the creme de la creme of the elite forces, Dayenu, this alone would be enough. But oh no, there's more. <laughs> um, he decides, I want to be an F-16 pilot. That seems like a good job. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. So he not only does it and like, you know, that's not an easy thing to get into, but he becomes one of the best F-16 pilots in Israel. And then double Dayenu. Now he becomes squadron leader of his F-16 squadron, triple Dayenu. So this is his military career. Now, he's very religious, and by that I mean modern Orthodox, which mm-hmm. Naftali Bennett is also, meaning kippah wearing, mm-hmm. wearing, believes in, in what we would call the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Torah, the Tanakh, and is religiously observant. Right. What makes him interesting, however, is that he really likes people who, and, and, and has built a good working relationship in his life with people who don't agree with him. Israelis, but also he became very fond of some evangelical pastors yeah. who sort of adopted his unit during one of the wars and just saw and came to visit them and bring them food and I don't know, pray for them and yeah. just and be encouraging. And it, it touched him. Yeah. He's a man of faith and he likes meeting people of faith, even though he doesn't agree with evangelicals on who Jesus is. So that's really interesting. Now, he, uh, uh, Naftali Bennett decides, I'm going to build a political party, and I'm going to go into the Knesset, the parliament, and I'm going to, you know, I want, I'm going to become the prime minister. And Matan, I want you to be in my party. Matan's like, I didn't really have any interest in being in politics, but yes, my he friend asked me, I, I did it. And so they are the ruling party now. Now, let's not get it. We don't have time in this podcast to get into the troubles that Naftali Bennett's having with this coalition. But I would argue, from my observation, and now getting to know Matan Kahana a bit, I think he is the most or one of the most loyal to the prime minister, even though he's an independent thinker. What makes him interesting to me is he's really taken on some major reforms within Orthodox Judaism um, that the Orthodox Jewish leadership does not want him to make. Mm-hmm. It's too nuanced, too in the weeds for this podcast, but he is facing serious opposition, opposition. Uh, opposition from very religious people here uh, who are, you know, castigating him in every possible way. And he, you know, he's a fighter, yeah. right? We just talked about <laughs> it's hard to get this guy to buckle, right? Yeah. So he's, he, and he wants to build relationships with evangelicals. And 
I've just enjoyed getting hearing him a few other occasions and then him his willingness to meet with us on Yom HaShoah, the Holocaust yes. Memorial Day. Not like he's not a busy guy. He is a very busy guy as religious affairs minister, yeah. close to the prime minister. And he said yes. And we had an amazing time with him. It was truly it was truly insightful. And and again, you know, just the the willingness to talk and to share that story about the pastor flying yeah. from Pennsylvania to right, right. Uh, his unit to right, pray with him right. before they went into action. And I want to make, I make uh, this point. Joshua doesn't take any political position. We we are a nonpartisan organization right. in the United States as well as here and anywhere else. So we're not trying to uh, we're just trying to get to know everybody that has any influence that we ought to get to know, pray for, encourage, and learn from in whatever party. That's why we met with both the Trump ambassador to Israel and the Obama ambassador to Israel. And I tried to, I invited the Biden ambassador to Israel to meet with us. He was going to be out of town, but he did meet with me privately the day before the delegation began. So we're doing this across the board. And that's what I'm saying, you know, whether it's Netanyahu or Matan Kahana, who, you know, Obviously, Bennett is not, uh, Bibi Netanyahu is not happy with Naftali Bennett right. because they're political um, Enemies, opponents. opponents uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Matan Khan is on the other side. But again, it, we're, uh, and, and Benny Gantz is a completely other party yeah. from these others. That's part of what we're doing. We're yeah. not taking a position. We're trying to get to know leaders. The poorest of the poor. And the most powerful. We have the most trouble in America just with two parties. You have so many parties <laughs> yeah, here in true. Israel. But um, you brought up the two ambassadors, both the Obama, uh, Obama administration ambassador to Israel. Dan Shapiro. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and then the uh, Trump uh, ambassador to Israel. David, David Friedman. Friedman. Yeah. Uh, why did you want us to hear from both of those? Well, first, I think it's interesting that these two are both Jewish. Yeah. It used to be that it was verboten. You're German, so okay, that's my one of my few German words that I know. Verboten, like forbidden to be a U.S. ambassador to Israel and be Jewish. Why? Because there was this view in the State Department and in Washington generally that you would be not loyal as a Jew, as an American Jew to America. You would go over there and be wow. more loyal to Israel than to America. Not fair, but part of an anti-Semitic culture of the past. Now, David Friedman, um, so, so Dan Shapiro was the first Jewish ambassador that I'm aware of. He served under President Obama. Then David Friedman was appointed, and he's an Orthodox Jewish. Uh, Dan is not religious or traditional, and uh, David Friedman is modern Orthodox. And the current ambassador, Tom Nides, who's Biden's ambassador to Israel, he himself is also Jewish from Minnesota, kind of liberal, not particularly religious, but respectful of religion. This is a, the trifecta of Jewish ambassadors in, from different administrations. Yeah. I wanted you all, I wanted me to hear from very different perspectives on how the United States leadership sees Israel, again, from two very different vantage points at critical seasons yeah. in the U.S.-Israel relationship. Yeah. Um, so, and again, just trying to be nonpartisan and therefore bipartisan, um, I thought was important. Well, they were both very fascinating, but I particularly like David Friedman discussing the decision-making process within the Trump White House about moving the embassy from right. uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Maybe you can well, share yeah. a little bit about so, that Right. So again, you know, part of the reason to meet with, with Ambassador Friedman is because you're in the room where it happens, right? To go full Hamilton on you, <laughs> uh, right? And uh, you're now meeting with a leader who was part of the decision-making process to make the most consequential decision in the history of U.S.-Israel relations since 
uh, a Democrat, yeah. Harry Truman, recognized the state of Israel's independence in 1948, 11 minutes after Israel declared independence. Yeah. This is a big moment. U.S. presidents since 1995 have promised to move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Congress passed a law that President Bill Clinton signed in 1995 saying they would do it. No one did it. Not from the Democrat, not from the Republicans. It never happened. And so to hear the process of David Friedman being in the room counseling President Trump to do it. Now, Trump had had promised it, too. Yeah. Everybody promises it. That was not the issue. Right. The issue was, are you going to do it? And, of course, Friedman told us the story that the Secretary of State at the time, Rex Tillerson, was dead set against it. Yes. The Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, dead set against it. The Defense Secretary, dead set against it. Almost everybody, except for Mike Pence, the Vice President, right. Mike Pompeo, who was CIA Director at the time, yeah. but in the CIA Director role, you're not supposed to take any policy position. Right. You can only tell people what might happen, what might not happen, what does intelligence say. You can't make a policy recommendation. So pretty much, it was Pence and Friedman against everybody. Right. And Trump inclined to do it, but listening to his top advisors tell him that's bad, that's going to blow up the region, it's going to blow up our relationships with everybody, you can't make peace, you want to make peace, it's never going to happen. And for Friedman, basically, to explain the case that he made, yeah, super interesting. And then, if that, you know, if that weren't enough, <laughs> then the question was, what about the peace deal, the, the yeah. deal of the century, right? And then to be part of that team that put this thing together, uh, you know, Friedman and Jason uh, Greenblatt and, and, and Jerry Kushner yeah. and others. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear how do they craft the plan that would create a Palestinian state, which Trump had said that he was against, but then he created that offer. How is that going to work? And then when that was rejected by the Palestinians, how did the Abraham Accords get made? Friedman was part of all of it. So I think it's, you know, I just think evangelicals, the more we can hear from actual participants, yeah. this is how you have a better sense. You might not, people might not agree with Friedman on everything or yeah. anything, I, but I think it's important to hear. And the same thing with Dan Shapiro. Again, Obama had a very contentious relationship with Israel, right? It's Obama that wanted to divide Jerusalem and bring Israel back to the 1967 lines mm -hmm. that most Israelis, not all, believe are indefensible and therefore not the starting point for a serious deal with the Palestinians. It was President Obama with Biden at his side who made the original Iran nuclear deal that many people are critical of and that Trump ripped up. So to, ha to hear in one day both of them you know, separately. We, yeah. we kept them, you know, in a separate, uh, separate cities, separate <laughs> meetings. But anyway, no, they're friendly to each other. But it was really yeah. interesting was because you so rarely hear this. You usually just hear a bunch of sniping on CNN or MSNBC or even Fox. You don't get to hear from the people in the room. Yeah. And again, like them, love them, hate them, agree with them or disagree with them. At least you're understanding what were they seeing and what were they hearing. Yeah. And I was also struck by the reality that even in Israel, uh, you know, those that are what we would consider on the left or progressive side of the equation, they're still pro-military in Israel. You know, the idea that uh, they don't want to get wiped out. They don't want to get wiped out. Guys, and this yeah. is this is an important distinction between much of the left in America and, and the left here in Israel. But let's talk for a moment about somebody 
that we have to talk about because we, we started the podcast about him, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the opportunity we had to meet with him on the delegation yeah. and some of the conversations and some of the history. It's been, it'd been several years since you'd had a conversation with well, him. Well, yeah, right? 14 so, years. Yeah. So, um, I worked for him that very that briefly. Yeah, yeah. I worked for him very briefly in the fall of 2020, um, as a junior, person on his comeback campaign team. He didn't come back for nine more years. And from 2008, which was my last time I'd met with him in person, until that meeting in April 2022, no one had allowed me to come and have a meeting with him. So that's a lo- 14 years is a long time. That's a separate, you know, why, I'm not entirely sure why, um, but the point is, so why is this night different from all other nights? Why did we suddenly get... I mean, I will be honest, because of 14 years of not meeting with him, I wasn't even going to ask for a meeting with him because it seemed not, you know, why do that, you know? And, uh, but I, I was setting up the whole delegation through the ambassadors in Washington, through Yusuf Al-Otaiba, the Emirati ambassador in Washington, through Sheikh Abdullah bin Rashid Al-Khalifa, who's the Bahraini ambassador in Washington, and through Ambassador Michael Herzog, who's the Israeli ambassador in Washington. And the protocol is you ask for the opposition leaders meeting as well as the prime minister and whomever else. Unfortunately, the prime minister, Naftali Bennett, didn't choose to have, or, you know, he didn't have the time or he didn't choose to make the time to meet with us. And the foreign minister, unfortunately, who's a friend of mine, was out of the country, Yair Lapid. But, you know, meeting with the defense minister and everybody else, okay, do I even put a letter in? But I did, because I just thought that's the right thing to do. Sure. And okay, so they'll say no. And they didn't say no. And so, okay. And it was a very interesting meeting. Um, look, again, I want to underscore this because, you know, Netanyahu is, is the most controversial leader in, in the modern history of Israel. And there'll be people watching or listening to this podcast who think that is a bad idea. Why would you meet with him? Yeah. And of course, our Palestinian friends would think, you know, he's the Antichrist to them yeah. in many ways. So why did we meet with him? And, and, and the answer is we're trying to understand the thinking of any Israeli leader that will meet with us. And if the Palestinians open the door, we would go meet with sure. them. And if the uh, Bahraini leaders and Emirati leaders and Saudi leaders yep. and Egyptian and Jordanian, I want to me personally, I want to hear from all of them. I want to understand what they're thinking and I want to pray for them. And I want to be an ambassador for Christ to them and to their families and their teams and their countries. So Netanyahu is the most consequential prime minister sure. in the modern history of Israel. Certainly one of them, I guess, David Ben-Gurion, the founding prime minister is right up there. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of four Arab Israeli peace deals, Five Muslim-Israeli peace agreements. No Israeli prime minister in history has ever done it. Don't you want to meet with that person? The person that went to Washington to take on President Obama and say, no, we appreciate you want to stop the Iranians from getting a nuclear weapon, but this deal will not do it. That was a very controversial decision for Netanyahu to give that speech. As I describe in Enemies and Allies, I was actually at that speech. And that speech continues to reverberate both positively and negatively through the entire region. So to me, getting to meet with people that we'll talk about it being in the room where it happened. You know, Netanyahu is also the prime minister that ordered the Israeli secret services, the Mossad, to sneak into Iran a couple of years ago and steal their entire nuclear weapons archive of how to build weapons. They stole it. 
several tons of material in the middle of the night with blowtorches and, and ski masks. I mean, this is going to be a movie someday. It's got to be. I wish that I was yeah. writing it, but I, you know, I usually deal with fiction. <laughs> to meet with people who make these decisions. Again, you don't have to love every decision. Yeah. I met with President Trump, and I didn't agree with him on everything. Sure. Um, and I met with... Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, the most controversial leader in the Arab world. Look, meeting with someone and getting to know them and listening to their point of view is not assent. It's not endorsement. You're getting to know them. Right. And I think that's an important thing. One of the Joshua Fund mission statements is to educate Christians around the world about what's happening in Israel and what's happening in the region. Sure. And therefore, the more you understand, the more you know, you have a maybe a more up-to-date sense of how to be taking Scripture and praying specifically. Anyway, I'm willing to take all the slings and arrows for doing it because I don't think it was wrong. Right. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I know it'll offend people, but I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm trying to learn. And the moment that um, Palestinian chairman... Mahmoud Abbas invites me to Ramallah to sit down with him. I'll go. You're going. Yeah. And maybe if the Iranian Ayatollah invites me, I may not go because <laughs> I don't think I'm security. getting out. Right. I mean, it's a one way ticket. Right. So, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I I want to hear people and I want to learn. And I think I think that's important, both as for delegations and also for all Israel news, sure. all Arab news. To get direct source material. Well, if, <laughs> if I may, I mean, I would say a comment uh, that I've mentioned on some of these other meetings, but just there was a degree of warmth there. First of all, Netanyahu has no doubt a gravitas of a world leader. Oh yeah, you're, me- yeah. you're not meeting with a you're not provincial with, uh, mayor. That's, this that's is right. this is a, a this is someone who comes in and you feel that. But also, he just had a great deal of warmth for everyone in the room, but particularly for you and I. Which was is so- striking because. He had chosen not to meet with me for 14 years for whatever sets of reasons. Reason. That was, uh, yeah, but he that was, was obviously over. And I think that, you know, when we have the opportunity, when you have the opportunity as, you know, the founder of the Joshua Fund and as someone who has founded uh, Near East Media and All Arab and All Israel News Services to get these invitations, I think it's remarkable that you have a, mm-hmm. a profound uh, chemistry, if you will, with these leaders. And it's, it's, it's one right of the most now. impressive things about these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not stilted. It's not stiff. Mm. It's warm. And I, I, I just so appreciated that. Well, I, I appreciate it, too. I, I find myself surprised uh, often. One, that the door opens at all. Yeah. Second, that these leaders give us as much time as they do, because these are world leaders. Uh, they're certainly regional leaders. And, you know, their day is filled with other regional <laughs> leaders. What do I bring to the table? Yeah. What does the Joshua Fund or, you know, All Israel News, whatever... What are we delivering to a a foreign minister of the UAE or to a a former prime minister, now opposition leader, or whomever, a defense minister, a defense minister who's in charge of keeping Israel safe from annihilation, from a second Holocaust? Why should they make time for us? And I think the the simplest answer, if you do the algebra, you you take out all the equation, you make it the simplest, the answer is... They want relationships with evangelicals because they understand that there are 60 million evangelicals in the United States who mostly love Israel but need to understand how to stand with Israel or 
the Arab side want to un- build a friendship with evangelicals. Why? Because they want a large swath of America to know that they're not extremists. Yeah. They're not apocalyptic, end of the world, Iranian regime, you know, lunatics. That that they're trying to make major reforms, positive reforms, progressive reforms, pro-religious freedom reforms, pro-economic growth reforms, pro Peace reform, this is who they are. And they feel like the major media, the mainstream corporate media, is not listening or is snarky and cynical and doesn't care and won't give them coverage. And therefore, their main ally in the world, the United States, the American people don't know who they are. And that is a scary place, not just infuriating. I mean, I think evangelicals generally understand how we are treated by the media. We've yeah. dealt with other, you know, uh, <laughs> other podcasts times, on, yes. you know, being mocked the by the Stone. Rolling Stone or whomever. <laughs> but if you're a country whose existence depends in a significant degree on your close alliance with the world's only superpower, if the people of that superpower have no idea who you are or they don't understand the challenges you face, and if they think of you as part of the enemy camp or not the trustworthy ally camp, this is a serious problem. And I believe that's the number one reason they're reaching out. Why they reach out to me, I, you know, mostly I don't know, but I think they didn't know who to reach out to. Like there is no, we don't have a a hope. There is no Vatican. Where would you go? I guess you could (laughs) call up the National Association of Evangelicals and say, who's the president today or the head of the national religious broadcasters. They could have done that, but they saw me because King Abdullah had essentially said, I want to build a friendship with that guy. Yeah. Not alone, not in exclusion of everybody else, but right. that maybe is a way. Yeah. C- President Sisi of Egypt decided to invite me as the first ever leader of a delegation that they'd never done before in Egypt. You have to go back to Moses bringing Aaron <laughs> into the palace. I mean, maybe it's ever happened, but no one's ever told me it's happened. Yeah. I say it with a little bit of extra time just to say The reason is the intense level of felt and existential need Mm. to form the closest possible bonds Mm. with the United States while it remains a superpower, right? And these are small countries facing major dangers. And what's interesting to me, among other things, is the Arab countries now feel like Israel. They feel like we're – people are threatening to wipe us off the planet. We cannot – ignore the threats from Tehran. We cannot ignore what's happening in Moscow and an evil leader invading one country after another and arming our worst enemies. We have to figure out how to get closer to the United States, closer to Israel, and closer to each other. That's a set of challenges that every country in the region whose leaders get it are trying to figure out how to do it. And that's really the reason... I slash we are getting involved. I could go by myself. I don't think that's fruitful. Mm. I don't, I mean, I would be honored, but I think the more leaders that they meet, you can't, you can't take 50 into a room. You won't be able to have a conversation, Right. but take a dozen or 15. Now you're, you know, and each of them can begin to go report to their own sectors, their spheres of influence, what they saw and they heard. I'm not asking anybody on the delegation, yourself included, to become a a cheerleader for any one of these countries or relationships. But go tell the truth of what you saw and heard. 
I think it's positive, but uh, there are some problems mixed in there, too. Yeah. Well, I've certainly been telling people, and I and I hope all of our listeners will take this as an opportunity to learn more, to go further, and to do more to bless Israel and the neighboring countries in the name of Jesus. And Joel, right, I want right. to thank and, you. And let me just say one other thing. Obviously, at the core of the Joshua Fund is... How many people in this region have read the Bible, heard the Bible, understand the Bible in their heart languages? Do they know the good news of Jesus? Do they understand why the church is a blessing to nations and not a curse? Do they let these churches operate freely? Do they let people make their own choices whether they want to follow Jesus or not? These are important. This is at the yeah. core of what we do. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of other things we do to show the love of Jesus through humanitarian relief, and but also through education. And I'm fascinated that we are now at a moment where Israeli leaders at the highest levels and Arab Muslim leaders at the highest levels are saying one of our major felt needs is that people we theologically completely disagree with would at least tell the truth about who we are. Yeah. And why we should be seen as the good guys and not the bad guys. That is a big deal. And um, I think it's part of the educational mission of the Joshua Fund. It's not all of what we do, but it's a significant part of what we do. And, you know, when we started this podcast, I I didn't know that more doors were going to open like this. I thought six delegations. That was that was enough, Dianu, right? But more doors are more coming, and more are coming still. Perhaps that's perhaps. right. Well, I want to thank you, Joel, and I want to thank you for listening and watching this podcast. And if you want to learn more about the Joshua Fund, go to our website at joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what we're doing in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, and how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this region. And as always, if you'd like to know more, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on this podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. From Jerusalem. From Jerusalem. Amen. (laughs) Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.